First, I'll talk about this video. This video is a depiction of what takes place every day, unfortunately, uh, for someone who is lost. And not only children, but as well as teenagers and adults and seniors and spouses. And upon someone being lost, many will commit to search for them. And even often at times, whole communities, along with emergency teams, enter into the search. And it consists of loved ones, it consists of friends, and even strangers show up to help and find someone who's lost. Often because they have to have someone they love, that if they were lost, they would want others helping them to find their lost loved ones as well. They understand the value of a life. They're full of compassion, and they're motivated by what if that was my son or daughter that was lost. When someone is lost, time is crucial and moments count. And some of you may already be catching on to where I'm going with this. For someone's loved one to be lost in the physical sense is tragic and it's important they be found. But where I'm going with this analogy is for someone's loved one to be lost in the spiritual sense is just as tragic. And it's important they be found and saved and rescued from their sins because we're talking about eternal life. And the biggest difference between these searches for lost loved ones, where communities often show up, even strangers, to look for your loved ones who are lost physically, all too often not many are searching for lost loved ones who are lost spiritually. Too often, we just let them go and hope for the best for their lives. And definitely not many look for strangers, lost loved ones. Are people who don't know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, are they really considered lost? Well, according to my scripture tonight in Luke 19.10, it declares this to be true. It says, the Son of Man, Jesus, has come to seek and save that which is lost. According to Scripture, Christ left the splendor of heaven to come to earth on a mission to find lost souls. He often referenced us to being his sheep, and he was the shepherd. And if he had to leave the 99 to find just the one lost sheep, that he would. And the video I showed you was actual footage of a search team finding a lost child. And the three days leading up to the child's rescue was heart-wrenching to the family. And what was so amazing about this story was the overwhelming support this family got to find their lost loved one and the unbelievable effort made by many to find this child. Not only did family and friends show up, but actual strangers dedicated their time and their efforts to this cause. Why? Because as I said earlier, many of them themselves had children and they understand the pain of these parents must be feeling losing the most valuable thing to their lives. They searched tirelessly, vowing not to give up. They knew time was critical. And tonight, I'm going to use this story as an analogy to emphasize that we should have the same passion and the same determination they had to find the physically lost to finding the spiritually lost. Out of the six billion people in the world estimated on this earth, two billion confessed to be Christians. Which leaves what? An estimated 4 billion people who are lost on this earth, spiritually speaking. These are your children. These are your neighbor's children. These are your best friend's children. And the truth is, they're all God's children. So why are we not making the same kind of effort to find them that are lost spiritually of those who are lost physically? And I want to talk about this night because we're failing in this arena we are at a time that I believe is the greatest opportunity for the church to reap a harvest. Amidst all of the turmoil and the chaos in our society, people are searching for a way out of hopelessness and out of despair. And as pastors of this congregation, we have dedicated every service this month geared to trying to get the church to refocus on the lost, the harvest, to refocus on the heartbeat of God. And I want to mention, first of all, I'm going to show you that prayer and revival and the harvest go hand in hand in our efforts to win the lost, to advance the kingdom of God. You know, we speak of the great last day outpouring. I assure you it's for the sole purpose of gathering the harvest. 
And before I'm done, I'm going to put these three things together and share a word with you from the Lord that I feel is a very relevant word. First, let's talk about the harvest. Let me say this right quick. Everyone is praying and crying for revival. We need revival. But until revival is about winning souls, don't expect it to come. I'll say more about that later. They say two things contributed to them finding this child. It was prayer and a search team. It was a united effort. For three days and two nights, this child was lost in the woods. The child was found because of a united effort, because they focused on the child. They put together a strategy of where to search. They were determined and they were passionate. As a result, today, a child is alive and well. And God is our Heavenly Father who has a lot of lost children tonight who need our help to be found. I was one of those who was, by the grace of God and someone's prayers, was found. We must have the same determination and passion for the spiritually lost as we do for the physically lost. If you have a loved one who's spiritually lost, do you truly understand that if they die physically, they will be lost in eternity and spend it in a place of torment called hell? Hell is real, folks, and we don't want to talk about it. But knowing that alone ought to move us to go and seek that which is lost. If Christ is our example, we are to follow, and we understand Luke 19.10, that the Son of Man came to seek and save that which is lost, then we should follow his example and help him to find the lost. Because according to Scripture, an unbeliever in the eyes of God is considered to be lost. But the problem is they don't know they are. If you'll remember the video I showed you two weeks ago, that was one of her case points was the fact people tell me I'm lost and I don't even know what lost is. She says she don't even know what it is to be lost. They're lost. And nobody is stopping to tell them about Jesus Christ. Many times we just throw money at them like they did the man in Acts uh, chapter 3 who laid lame at the gate called Beautiful. He would just lay there and people would come by and he'd beg for alms and some people would throw him some money. But not Peter and John. They said to the lame man, silver and gold have a number, such as I have, I give to you. In other words, I don't have no money to give you, but I've got Jesus who saved me, who can save you, who can heal you. Rise up and take up your bed and walk. And the question becomes, how can we just walk by them? How can we stand by them on assembly line for 40 hours a week, see their struggles and distress, but never share Jesus with them? Live by them for 20 years. Raise them for 18 years. Sleep in the same bed with them for 20 years. Live in the same house with them for 15 years. Be kin to them for 30 years. Room for them with them four years at college. Play softball with them for five years and never tell them about Christ. Knowing they're lost, they don't know they are. How is it we won't share our hope with them? And how many of them are there? As I said, six billion in the world, four billion professed to be, two billion professed to be Christians, and you know that leaves four billion. So that leaves four billion people in the world unsaved. Now, how many is that? I want you to picture this. If we put them in a single line, and we started in Jacksonville, Florida, well, we'd have to build a bridge over the Atlantic Ocean, all the way over to the mainland Europe, then to Asia, then to China, but we can't stop there. Then we've got to have a bridge over the Pacific Ocean all the way back to Florida. And this line would not only go around the world one time, two times, five times, 10 times, 15 times, 20 times, 25 times, 30 times, but they say 34 times around the world long is this line. Church, we've got some work to do. Do we? Yes. According to Luke 19.10, for the Son of Man has come to seek and save that which is lost, Christ was sent here from the splendor of heaven on a mission which was just revealed in this scripture. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes him should not perish but have everlasting life. Christ's mission was to find lost sheep people. Every person ever born is created by God and born into sin. We've all sinned and come short of the glory of God and we all have to accept Jesus Christ to be born again. It's God's desire that none shall perish but that we all come to repentance, that all will accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. 
So they receive the gift, the provision of eternal life. So they won't be lost, spiritually speaking. God considers anyone who's not saved as a lost sheep. And he sent Christ to find them. Even if there was just one lost sheep, even if it was just you or just me, he would leave the 99 to come and find us. And he said to make disciples of them and teach them how to search for the lost. And when they find them, lead them to Christ, the great shepherd. Folks, it was Christ's mission. And as a body of believers, a church, it's our mission. It's our duty and our responsibility to be about the Father's business. And sadly, too often, we're more about our business than about his business. God didn't just come for you and me. He came for every single person who has ever walked on this earth. He came for whosoever calleth upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart the Lord Jesus Christ and believe that God raised him from the dead, you too can be saved. You can be found through by God's amazing grace. I once was lost, but now I am found. You're saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. But how does anybody know that unless they are told? You've got to have faith, and faith cometh by hearing and hearing the word of God. Folks, time is critical. Christ is coming back, and we've got a lot of work to do. Aren't you glad he didn't come back before he found you? I want to tell you, there is not a one of those four billion lost souls that aren't valuable to God. Have you ever lost anything valuable to you? I can remember one time when me and my wife were first married, she lost her purse. She actually, when she got a car, she set it on top of the car and took off down the road and it fell out in the road. And things were tough for us. Things were tight. We were barely getting by living paycheck to paycheck. We'd lost that thing. It was very important. But fortunately, we found it. Don't think we weren't happy when we found it. When you lose something valuable, it distracts you from everything else you have to where your focus is only on what is lost. We had racked our brains over that. Where could that purse be? You, use a, you lose a child like these people did for three days, you're not going to be focused on anything else until what? Until that child is found. They still had each other. They still had their houses and their cars and friends, but none of that mattered at that time. All that mattered was finding the most valuable thing to them, and that was their child. I can remember we were in Florida one time when Brittany was just three or four years old. We went to a shopping mall, and uh, I went to look at, as men do, we go to one side of the store, and, and Brittany and Joyce went to the other side of the store. And all of a sudden, I got bored doing what I did, was doing, so I walked over to see if they were about ready to go, only to go over there. I say, where's Brittany? And Joyce looks around and goes, I don't know. And for the next 15 minutes, my child was lost. And I want to tell you something. It was the most horrifying 15 minutes of our life in a store, in a state we didn't even live in. I wasn't thinking about nothing but her. Nothing else was going to get my attention. I wasn't like, oh, well, we got two more kids. No. We were determined to find her. I was running up and down the aisles. I was bumping into people. I wasn't asking anybody for permission to look for her. I was looking everywhere. I was looking in the clothes racks. I was looking on the toy aisles. I was running into their back rooms. I was looking under the checkout counters. And you were not going to get my attention for nothing else unless you were there to help me find my child. I did not have no time for you. Finally, for some reason, I walked to the very front door. And I looked out the door and looked down the sidewalk, and there stood this little four-year-old blonde-headed girl trying to get into the ice cream shop. So anytime she gets lost now, I go looking at the ice cream shop. But no, I never will forget that time. That was my life. And for 15 minutes, she was gone. And when you lose something valuable and something's truly valuable to you, you can't focus on nothing but finding your child. And that is the same kind of focus the church has to have for the lost, they're lost spiritually. That's the kind of passion and determination. We can't lose our focus. Sadly, for too many, they have. For too many churches, it's just us 24, no, no more, just fine with them. Church, that's why we exist. That's why Christ hasn't come yet. We're to be a part of God's search and rescue team, helping him search for the most valuable thing to him, people. Red, yellow, black, or white, 
They're all what? Precious in his sight. Folks, if it's your child, folks, these are his children. They're just simply where you or I was at one time, lost. Lost from the fold. And God's focus and attention has never been on anything else than his children. And you're not going to get his attention unless you're helping him to find them. Unless you're a part of his search and rescue team. God is not distracted by petty, selfish desires. And you won't be either when you've lost something valuable. You won't have time for it, and God doesn't either. He gave his only son, sent him to seek and save, to find and to make a way of escape for his people from the present and dark world. While we sit in these walls and inside our comfortable homes, there's a world out there that's lost. There are children who need hope. If you don't know Christ, you are lost in darkness. And those of us that have been found, according to 1 Peter 2 and 9, we have been called out of his darkness into his marvelous light. You are to be, in return, the salt and light of the world. If we lost our savor, what good are we? If we don't let our light shine before man, what good are we? To the kingdom of God and how selfish we are in our faith. Where's our passion? Where's our focus? If it's not on the lost, then it must be on us and how selfish that must be. Then we become like horse leeches, running to God, feed me, feed me, feed me. When God commands us to what? Feed his sheep. How this couple felt at that moment, their child was lost, is how God feels about the four billion that are lost. It's his will that none shall perish. Time was critical in finding this lost child. And time is critical in God finding his children. People are dying as I speak, and they're dying lost. I know there are those who have rejected, but shame on us if we never made an effort to find them. When this child was lost, not only did they and their family and friends search for him, even strangers showed up to search for a child. They all had one common goal, one common purpose. They were all in one accord and one mind, to find this lost child. And the body of Christ should be just as united for the same common goal to find those that are lost spiritually. Praise God for them. They did a great thing. But can we transfer those kind of efforts into finding the spiritually lost? How can we do it in the natural? How can we can unite in the natural but not have the same compassion, urgency to make sure our loved ones our friends' loved ones, our neighbors' loved ones are found that are spiritually lost. We give up so many times so easily on them. The lost will form a single line 34 times around this earth. And God has called us to help shorten the line. The best way you could have helped this family was to pray and help the father look for his child. The best way we can help our Heavenly Father is to pray and help him find his children. Jesus said he'd leave the 99 for the one. I have three children. I would leave the other two to find my lost loved one. Why? Because I love them all. And Jesus talks about the lost in three parables. The lost sheep, as I've said. He also talked about the lost coin. He says a woman would turn her house upside down to find it. The lost son. The prodigal. The father will search daily for him. The lost sheep. The lost in the church. Gone astray. The lost coin, lost in the home, in the family. The lost son, lost in the world. People are lost everywhere. Maybe someone here today, and I've come to tell you tonight, you do not have to be. And the common thread is no matter where they're lost, he is passionate, and we must be passionate about finding them. And we must understand why we're still here is we are to be a part of his search and rescue team and help bring the lost home. And shorten the line that goes 34 times around the earth. In Matthews 28, 19, and 20, this passage on by many is the Great Commission. Folks, as believers, we are to fulfill this. Here's Jesus after his resurrection, about to ascend into heaven, telling his disciples, I'm leaving. You stay here and help me. How? Help me find them which are lost. Continue as I have showed you. Understand. If I go away, I'll send a comfort to you, the Holy Spirit, a paraclete, which will go along beside you to help you. 
Do what I have commanded you to do. And what was that I commanded? Matthew 20, 19, 20. Let's read it. Go ye therefore and teach all nations and baptize in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. Teach them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. Yell you and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the world. He told his search and rescue team, the 12, to go and find the lost and make disciples of them. And then send them out like I sent you. I've taught you, you teach them. And Jesus tells them and us, the church, our mission, why we are here. If there is an area of the church that is failing most, at this hour, it is in fulfilling the Great Commission. We're not focused. It has to be done by design. It has to be an organized effort. You know what is happening to the church? We are finding it easier to entertain people than to evangelize them. It makes us feel good. It makes people feel good. But it doesn't bring about transformation. Making people feel good is not good enough. Unless we lead them to where they repent and accept Jesus Christ, they remain lost. He is the only way. He's the way, the truth, and the life. Evangelizing is an individual responsibility that should be through a united effort. All this denominational rhetoric. I understand the importance of sound doctrine for my life. I understand the difference of opinions. But as the church, we've got to have one thing in common. It's finding the lost through Jesus who was born, crucified, buried, and resurrected. See, in the Great Commission, he's not only tells us what to do, but in Acts 1.8, he tells us where to go. But you shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be my witness unto me in both Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the uttermost part of the earth. He said we shall be witnesses. What does a witness do? Shares their story. He testifies of what he or she believes to have saw or experienced. And that's what God wants you to do. Share your story. Be a witness of what you have experienced from Christ. So many say, I don't know how to witness. I don't know what to say. Just tell your story, what Christ did for you, and tell them he'll do the same for them. And when you get all them crazy questions and hang-ups thrown at you, just say, I don't know all about that. All I know is what he done for me. You don't have to be a theologian. Just say, I don't know about all that. I just know once I was lost, but now I'm found. I once was blind, but now I see. I once was an alky, but now I'm sober. I once was a drug addict, but now I'm addicted to God. I once was gay, but now I'm straight. I was once bound, but now I'm set free. I once was suicidal, but now I want to live forever. Hallelujah. Can I get a witness? I can't witness. Yes, you can. He said, once the Holy Ghost comes up unusual, have power to witness. Every time I start to witness, I feel the Holy Ghost come upon me. Four billion. Who's going to tell them? You can't win them all. But could you focus on winning just one this year? Do you know what that adds up to? If we have 600 people in our sanctuary on a Sunday morning, and everyone just focused on one person this year. You got 12 months to pick somebody out, focus on them, and lead them to the Lord. Do you know that by next year, we would have 1,200 people attending? And then if we did that again, in two years, we'd have 2,400. In three years, we'd have 4,800, and we'd have to build a bigger church. We can. We can do that if we're focused on it. Just one commitment a year. We make it too hard. We make telling it too hard. Build a relationship and you will have an opportunity. There was a time people thought I was unreachable. Matter of fact, 37 years. We all have an individual responsibility, yet we're not focused. We'd be like, well, if it ever comes up, make it come up. If I'm around someone, I immediately look for an opportunity to share. A lot of times I have to wait for the relationship to grow. Do it by design. Do it intentionally. Target someone like you would in the natural. If you thought a child was lost, it don't even have to be your child. You would go look for a total stranger in the natural. 
if he was lost? Why not the same passion if they're spiritually lost? Time is critical, folks. If not, they will die and go to hell for eternity. And every child, human that dies, was someone's child. And we'll all stand and give an account one day of our lives and what we did or didn't do for the kingdom of God. Are you satisfied with as long as I make it? Why can't we tell them? If I put you on the spot and ask you today, what would you say? If God asked you why you couldn't tell them, what would you say? And you shall be my witnesses unto me in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and the uttermost part of the earth. This is where he told them to go. And I want you to notice. First, he said Jerusalem. That was their city. Then he said Judea and Samaria. That was other parts of their nation. Then he said unto the uttermost parts of the earth. That's foreign missions. And he's saying the same thing to us today. First in Popper Bluff. First in Butler County. This is where we've been placed for such a time as this. Our evangelism task force team, they hit the streets for six months out of every year, going and ministering in the neighborhoods, ministering to children. Why? Because we believe they're the ultimate victims in our society. As I have preached, the enemy loves to destroy them at a very young age. This is when they're the most vulnerable, and we must reach them before the world indoctrinates them and makes them believe there is no hope and there is no God. Their mama and their daddy may be strung out, but we must make them understand they don't have to be. We must teach them there's hope in Jesus. Teach them that Jesus loves them. Teach them that the church loves them. They have heard so many stories about the church. We want to show them Christ, not just tell them about him. And I believe a lot of parents can be changed by their kids. And while you're ministering to their kids, you get an opportunity to minister to their parents. You love someone's child, and you will get an opportunity to share Christ with them. You know what? I would love to lead the next Billy Graham or T.D. Jakes to the Lord. Because I might be only able to reach one, but that one may be able to reach thousands. See, sharing the gospel is all about relationships. It's not about beating them over the heads. It's loving them. And making them believe what you have is best for them. Showing them what you have is what they do need. I want to thank all those who are involved in the Evangelism Task Force for helping to shorten the line. I want to thank Will and Holly Walters. I want to thank Donna Moore for what she does evangelistically. But here's what I want to share with you. ETF has a specific target. They have a strategy, a plan. But you cannot solely departmentalize evangelism because it is a corporate responsibility. Because here's what happens when you try to just make it a department. Oh, they do it. So, you know, I just work in the nursery. I don't care what you work in or where you work at. In the church, out of the church, it should all be evangelistically purposed. What I'm saying is wherever God places you, you have a responsibility to share your story. Jesus told them to, in Jerusalem, their city, he's telling us to in Popper Bluff, he told them Judea and Samaria, their nation, God's telling us America. He told them to the uttermost part of the earth, foreign missions, we are to make an effort in every one of these areas in our lives. So how do we help shorten the line in America? Do you know that statistically, more people are coming to Christ through new church plants than anything else. Do you know that 3,000 traditional churches a year are closing the doors? You know why? People say they're visiting the traditional churches, and they're leaving because they're irrelevant, they're not authentic, they're dead, dry, and boring, they can't feel the presence of the Lord, they're too, too, too traditional, and they're too religious. Bottom line, the church is unwilling to change their methods. And no one's asking them to change the message. You can never change the message. So the new churches are coming in being relevant and are experiencing conversions like never before. Not caught up in the traditions of men. 
or religious formalities. They're focused on the harvest. And they're discipling folks and they're sending them out. One of the hardest things is to get people to change who are set in their ways. Church, America needs us. You hear me say often that God put in my spirit, something's moving. Something's changing. We actually sung that song this morning. But we got to get to a place where we're singing, the church is moving. The church is changing. For this culture, we have got a, we got a work to do. It might take new methods, but it will always be the same message, and that is Jesus Christ is the hope of the world. We are now the third largest mission field in the world. We send to them, and now they're having to send back to us. Jesus said, go to the ends of the earth, that we are to make contributions to world missions. Church, we got a part of God's search, to be a part of God's search and rescue team to help shorten the line. So what are you saying, Randy? We got to do better. We got to get them focused on the harvest. If we really believe Christ is coming back soon, if we really believe that we're living in the last days, then the harvest should not be the last thing on our mind. It ought to be the first thing on our mind. Because time is critical, and we don't have time to waste. There's, they're everywhere, four billion of them. They're in our homes. They're in our neighborhoods. They're in our city. They're in our places of employment. They're in our hospitals. They're in our nursing homes. They're everywhere. I want to illustrate something to you. I love Chuck. And if I went to Chuck and said, Chuck, I love you. I want to bless you. This ain't 100. I'm going to give you a $100 bill. I said, and I, and I want to continue blessing you. Every time you come back every Sunday, I, said, I want to bless you again. But only one thing I want you to do, Chuck, is would you tell somebody who blessed you? And would you tell them that if they come to me too, I'll bless them just like I blessed you? So, Chuck gives it to Zach, and he tells Zach, who blessed him, and that I'd bless you too if you come to me. So Zach comes to me, and I give Zach money too now. And so I'm blessing him. And then Zach does the same thing, and he tells Myrna, and Myrna tells Amy, and Amy tells Deborah, and then comes over here to John. But something happens when it gets to John. I bless John, but John don't give it to nobody else. And John don't tell you about who gave him that. John don't tell you who blessed him. He just likes the blessing. It's a good blessing, see? And so, and then Chuck quits telling people, so he's not blessing no more. And when I blessed you to be a blessing. So if I blessed you to be a blessing, and now you're not blessing no one else, why wouldn't I quit blessing you? Why would I keep blessing you if you're not blessing no one else with what I blessed you with? And the same thing happens in the church. God has given and giving and given, but have we quit giving out? Have we quit telling others about the blesser? It stops the flow of blessing. Now, what happens then after they stop blessing, you haven't been blessed in a while. But you're okay with it for a while. John's got my $5. He can live off of it for a while until he dries up. And then he wants to start calling me again. Starts even complaining about me because I'm not blessing him no more. And you're wanting me to come back and bless you without you blessing anyone. Let me apply that to the church. God says, Chuck, I found you, and you came to me. I saved you, and I blessed you. And I'll keep blessing you. All I ask is for you to share what I've done for you and tell someone else that they will come to me. I will bless them just like I did you. And if it plays out like I described early, earlier, you stop sharing your blessing, I quit blessing. And then you go dry, and you begin to pray for revival, asking God to send revival again, to simply bless you again where it's all about you, delivering you, healing you, and touching you. And it's never about so you can be a blessing to someone else and share the blesser. Don't expect revival to come if it's all about you and what you can see, receive. See the problem? So here it goes, prayer, the harvest, and revival all tied together. 
And God says, I've been sending revival for years. I've been blessing, and I've been blessing my people, so they'll be a blessing to others. And he says, it worked good for years. We'd have revival sometimes for weeks. We'd have people at the church on Friday night, Saturday night, couldn't leave till midnight. Things were going good until American greed bled over into the hearts of many. And now many are so self-centered, it's all about them. Touch me, heal me, 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 me. Receiving but never sharing. No one is praying simply God revive the church so that we can be a blessing to others. So we can have the power to witness to the lost and dying world. And God is saying, until our prayers become like the prayers and the passion of Solomon's, I will not deposit my glory any longer. If I deposit my glory, it'll be for the purpose of the kingdom and not for self-gain. In 1 Kings 8, Solomon 8, 1 Kings 8, Solomon had just built the temple, and he begins to pray. If you've ever read that, listen to his heart's desire to sum it all up that he says, he didn't pray to receive of anything for himself. You know what he prayed for? He prayed for his nation. He prays, oh God, if anyone has committed sin or if anyone has sinned against thee, oh God, send them here. If my neighbors have done something wrong, send them here. If the outcasts have sinned against you, oh God, send them here. He prayed for his nation. He prayed for the harvest. He prayed for God to protect him. He prayed for, for them to come into the church and to the temple. And he said, God, when they pray, please forgive them of all their transgression and forgive them of their sins. And the Bible says that when Solomon came to the end of his prayer, that it was then that the glory of the Lord filled the house. His prayer was for the harvest. His temple was for the harvest. And the revival that came was for the harvest. And as a result, God deposited his glory in Solomon's temple. And if we try to get that, if we can get that focused on the harvest, and if we can pray with a passion for the harvest, then God will send a revival that will revive the church so that we'll go out into the highways and the byways and will compel them to come in so that his house may be full. And that when sinners walk into this temple, the glory of the Lord will manifest and draw all men unto him. And souls will be saved and people will be added to the church. And we will be blessed to be a blessing, and signs and wonders will follow if we seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. All of this other stuff will be added unto us. The Bible talks about a great falling away. It's here and it's happening. You know why? Because there's a lot of people who are in this thing for the blessings and not for the kingdom purpose. And now that God says, I'm not releasing my manifestations, until we get our hearts right, they're leaving. They're drying up and leaving. Why? They were seeking his hands and not his face. But I got good news. I've come to tell you, I come to tell the remnant, get ready, get ready for the greatest outpouring of the last days is fixing to come. When it'll be all about Jesus and it'll be all about, about the harvest and God will be blessing his people. If you're connected to the kingdom, you will be connected to the harvest. And that is where you will find his glory deposited. When's he going to deposit his glory? When is there going to be an outpouring of his spirit? When the church becomes focused on the harvest and the purpose of our prayers is for the harvest then God will begin to bless his people. God will deport, deposit his glory. But the thing we got to do, church, there's four billion up there. And if we want revival, we got to pray for the harvest. We got to pray for the laborers. We got to make it about the harvest. And we got to lift up Jesus Christ. But what we got to quit doing is walking by them. I've got one more video I want to show you, and then I want to relate it to this message as well.
I want to show you an aspect of the physical once again, if you guys will play it. A little girl sits on her own, sucking her thumb in the middle of a busy shopping center, looking scared and alone. So would you stop to see if she's okay? Well, more than 600 people didn't. As part of a TV experiment, two little girls were left alone on a London street to test the public's reaction to lost children. In the space of an hour, only one person stopped to see if the child needed help, while 616 walked on by. Seven-year-old Uma was taken to Victoria Place shopping center next to Victoria Station and left on her own, but with tight security around her. Right, I've got a whole cluster of people. It's so hard to watch people just walk by and ignore her. Her five-year-old sister, Maya, also takes part in the experiment, and at one stage, a couple find her in their path and simply walk either side without stopping. Their mother, who watched from a short distance away, says it was shocking and heartbreaking to watch so many people ignore her children when they were clearly alone and vulnerable. The experiment has highlighted the fact that many people now feel too scared of other people's perceptions to stop to help a young person. But the NSPCC says an adult's responsibility to protect a child should supersede these concerns. Little girl. If we're doing it in the physical, a little girl standing there, because we're afraid of the perception it might be to stop and try to help the little girl, how much more are we doing it in the spiritual? To those who are spiritually lost, that little girl, they had it portrayed as being lost. No one, only one person out of 616 people, one stopped to even check on her. And we're walking by people every single day in the malls and our in, in the, in the uh, department stores, at our jobs, in our factories. We're walking by them. And we see them just like they seen that little girl. How many of us are walking by and never stopping to invest in their life because of the perception it might portray? And God is saying to the body of Christ, they're out there. There's billions and we have a responsibility to share the gospel of Jesus Christ, to look into their eyes and see them hurting, struggling, lost, all the things they're going through. We should step into their lives and share Jesus Christ. Would you stand with me, musicians, if you would come? In these last days, there's got to be a focus like never before on the, on the lost. Like I said, many of them don't even know what lost means. But if they're not in the fold like sheep, if they're outside of the fold, they're lost. And we have a responsibility, whether it is your child or somebody else's child, to share the gospel of Jesus Christ, to share hope with them. So they can, too, have the same privilege that we've been given. Every single one of us in here that say we were given a privilege, somebody, somebody invested in your life. Somebody told you. So as my illustration was ago, are you telling somebody else? That's all God's ever really asked of us. I'll send you my son, Jesus, to die on a cross for you so that you might be saved. And all I ask of you is to obey me. And my command was to go and share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Would you just tell somebody else about the blesser? Not so much about your blessing. Tell them I blessed you. But would you not forget to tell them who the blesser was? And too often we're always more about the blessing and sharing the blessing we got. But yet we don't share the blesser that we got. And God is speaking to our hearts and he's challenging us. And I'll tell you, when we start and begin to do this, if you want to see the manifestation of God increase in this place and grow stronger than it's ever been, is when, is we're, when we're seeking it for the cause of the harvest. God will deposit his glory. Every head bowed and every eye closed for just a moment. 
first thing I want to do is these guys come just to play. I want to, uh, I want to pray for just a moment. Father, right now, I sense the Holy Spirit is speaking to our hearts. What concerns you? What's most important to you, God? All of us that stand here say we realize and understand we were. We were very important to you. But so is everyone else, God. And you've put a responsibility on us, God, Lord, to go out and share the gospel with our friends, our neighbors, the ones we love, and yes, Lord, even strangers. That we ought to be just as concerned about the spiritual loss as we are the physically lost. That just like we show up when someone's lost physically, we oftentimes don't care who they are, what they've done in life. We don't go through all those details. We just go searching for them. And Father, we've got to come that way spiritually as it is in the natural, so it is in the spiritual that we too have got to start opening our eyes and looking around and, and start paying attention to those. Don't worry about the perception. Don't worry about the rejection. Just to worry about the heart of men, women, and children that are lost and they need to be found. Because it's so much more than about their life here physically. It's about their life eternally, God. And you're speaking to our hearts sermon after sermon after sermon. And I know it has to be pleasing to you for a church to get focused on what's most important to you, the lives of so many, God. Tonight, God, I pray that the Holy Spirit would continue, Lord, to minister and draw and put a passion and a burden in our hearts, God, that we will follow your example, Jesus. And we, too, will seek to find those that are lost. In Jesus' name, I pray. Now what I'd like to ask you to do, everyone that would, if you say, I'd like to be a part of God's search team, I'd like to be a part of that team, I'd like to ask you if you'd come forward and make your way to this altar. You say, God, send me. I'll search for them. If you want to make that commitment tonight to Christ, then I'll search for them. I'll search for my kids. I'll search for my neighbor's kids. I'll search for strangers, God, if you'll just give me the opportunity. I won't cow down. I won't back up. The Holy Spirit will empower me so that I can be an effective witness for the kingdom of God. It's like for you to gather around and say, I'm going to make a commitment tonight. out in the congregation, I see young and I see old. And the responsibility is no different whether you're young or you're old. Young people, you've got young people that need to have hope. Seniors, you've got seniors who need to have hope. They need to know about Jesus. We've got friends and neighbors and loved ones. This is what they do when someone's lost physically. They'll announce it, and a crowd like this will show up. They'll all do their part. And they really don't ask a lot of questions other than what direction, but they don't ask them, well, is he black, is he white, is he a, is he a Christian, is he an unbeliever, what, what? No, it's just find that child. And we as believers have just got to be find that child. They are a child of God whether they're two years old or whether they're 77 years old. They're God's children. And it's His will that none should perish. And God's just looking for that church, that search team, that says, I will help search for the lost. Every head bowed and every eye closed, I ask that you right now pray and make a commitment to God. That God, if they're out there, show me. God, if they're out there, give me the opportunities. Pray, God, I'll keep my eyes open from this day forward. I'll look around me. I'll look to my left. I'll look to my right. I'll look in my home. I'll look in the world. I'll look at the factory. I'll look at the office. I will start looking around, God. Give me the burden. Give me the opportunity, God. I will help you find them.
like you sent somebody to help me be found. Father, we pray right now, Lord, as everyone is making a fresh commitment, that we want this church to be a church that is focused on the harvest. You have blessed us, Lord. You have blessed us beyond measure. And Father, we're praying tonight that you would use us, that you would bless us to be a blessing, God. And that when you bless us, we'll share the blessing and we'll share who the blesser was. And we'll assure them that, God, if they'll come to you too, just like you blessed us, God, you'll bless them because you're not a respecter of persons, God. I pray over every child. I pray over every family, God. I pray that the Holy Spirit would begin to empower this body, dear God, to reach the harvest for Jesus Christ. This is where you put us strategically. First, God, in Popper Bluff. First, in Butler County. And then our nation. And then our foreign nations, God. Wherever you send us, God, Lord, let us be focused and have your favor, God, to help lead them to you. Our responsibility, God, you've given us is simply to tell them. We're not their Holy Spirit. We're just simply a vehicle and a tool you want to use. And we should be able to tell them because you've blessed us. And we should want to share our blessing with others. God, I just pray this will be a church of harvest, God. And the harvest in return, dear God, will bring about a revival in this last day, dear God, that will draw all men unto you. In Jesus' name we pray these things. If you agree with this prayer, say amen. God bless you. You're dismissed.